My name's Clint. Like I said, uh, we're from Nashville, Tennessee. That's why we say y'all and we talk weird. But y'all talk weird. All right, I just want to tell you right now, <laughs> y'all talk weird. I don't talk weird. And this is my family right here. There they are. Uh, that's obviously my wife, Stephanie. Our oldest is this, our son, Reuben, and then Ellie there in the middle, and then little Lucy. And uh, I miss them very much. Our church actually just let out not that long ago, all the way over in Tennessee. And uh, so anyway, uh, I'm so honored to be here. I need to tell you a story, though, that if, if we're going to know each other, you need to know a little bit about me. Um, I meet people in the weirdest ways possible. All right. Uh, so if you've spent any time with me, stories just happen to follow me around. Weird stuff happens. I meet weird people. They, they're just attracted to me. I don't know why, but it makes for great sermon stories. So here you go. You ready? Uh, so uh, well, like I told you, the, the time that, that uh, Kurt and I met at the retreat, um, I actually, it was in Charleston, South Carolina, which is about nine, ten hours from where we live. And I decided I wanted to drive. You know, I need to unwind a little bit. So we actually had church. I drove halfway one day, uh, which is Asheville, North Carolina, and then I was going to drive the second half the next day. That way, when I got to the retreat, I, you know, I was unplugged already. I can kind of enjoy it a little faster. And so I drive from Asheville. I get down to Charleston, and I have some time to kill, so I've never been to Charleston. I'm like, I'm going to go to Charleston. I go to downtown Charleston. Has anyone in the room ever been to downtown Charleston? Anybody? Come on now. There we go. If you uh, have been there, you know that the streets are about as wide as this podium right here. They're very tiny, and it's a really awesome city. But I'm driving my car, and I am in the heart of downtown Charleston. And all of a sudden, my car starts to like shake. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And uh, all of a sudden, I hit the gas, and nothing happens. And my car breaks down in the middle of downtown Charleston. I'm like, Lord, what have you done right now? Right? Like, what is happening? And uh, I don't know if that's good theology, but that's what I was thinking. And uh, so anyway, I, I get there. Some guys are so mad at me that they get out of their work truck and they help push my car into a bank parking lot. So I get into this bank parking lot and I call a tow truck. And by the way, tow trucks are always three hours away. I don't know if you knew that, but they can never come when you need them. They're three hours away. So they're like, we'll be there in three hours. So I'm sitting in this bank. Uh, I look like a lunatic in there and uh, my, my car's broken down. I'm trying to get in touch with someone at the retreat to come pick me up or whatever. So tow truck comes, takes me to the uh, mechanic. I then get in the car with someone. I go to this retreat, have an amazing time at the retreat. I meet Kurt. My life changes forever. I meet Kurt. And, I, uh, and actually, the guy that runs the retreat, Pastor Greg uh, Surratt, he pays for my car to get fixed, guys. I mean, thank you, Lord, right? Like, I'll receive that in Jesus' name right there. So uh, they, they tell me, you know what? You just had a dead battery. That's all that was wrong. And I was like, well, I'm not a mechanic. You got to understand, like, I know how to put gas in my car. That's it. That's the extent of my knowledge with cars goes. And so I was like, great. Sounds good to me. But even then, that felt a little off. I was like, man, that probably wasn't the thing. So I get back in the car. The retreat's over. I'm leaving. I'm going home. And I get to a place called Spartanburg, South Carolina. And uh, most of you have never even heard of this place. I haven't either. And so I was driving through, and I get in traffic, and my car starts to slow down, and it stops, and all of a sudden, car breaks down, again, on the interstate. And at this point, I decided I'm going to call the mechanic and uh, encourage him in the Lord a little bit in a loud voice. And uh, 
tell them my weekly Bible verses. That's what I was going to do. No, I, I call the mechanic and I'm like, hi, remember me from a few hours ago? I am broken down on the side of the road in Spartanburg and I need you to send a tow truck, right? Like I got to go get picked up. So um, I, I was in need of a good Samaritan. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Has everyone ever needed a good Samaritan before? I needed this. And so it is, it is hotter than the devil's butt crack outside. It's so hot. Uh, I'm stuck on the side of the road. My car won't start. I change, and there's still standstill traffic happening, by the way. No one's making eye contact with me. They're all avoiding me. And I'm like staring at every car like, you going to help me? What you doing? You know, and they weren't doing anything. So I end up, I change clothes. I have a button-up shirt on with a sun shirt under it. I got a big sun hat on. I've got like my valuables, like my bag and computer. And I've like got a bunch of stuff. And now I'm just sitting on the side of the road thinking, I'll get an Uber. Guess what? Uber doesn't work on the interstate. You can't get an Uber on the interstate. So I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I'm, I'm having a hard time. And this t- by this time, Stephanie, I've called her. She is like doing recon work, trying to find somebody that lives nearby that can help me. And I'm, there's not an exit in sight. So I'm like, I guess I'm just going to walk and see where I end up. But before I walked, I decided I'm going to make a sign. I have my journal. I'm going to hold up a sign and see if someone will pick me up. All right, this is the height of the, the Delta variant, COVID. Uh, sorry to bring COVID up again, but I made a sign, and my sign said, vaxxed and nice, just needed next exit, right? That, this is literally the sign I made. And so I turned the thing around, and I am not lying. The first car that sees it pulls over and stops. Come on now. And how many true crime podcast listeners do we have in the room? <laughs> This is how it starts, right? Nice truck. I'm like, all right, he's not fitting the serial killer profile yet. And so I get in this guy's truck. His name is Joe. And Joe, I said, hey, man, thank you so much. And he's like, something just in me said, pick you up whenever this happened. And I said, Joe, I don't know what you do for a living, but that's the Holy Spirit, my friend. And he goes, I'm a pastor. I'm a bivocational pastor. I was like, yes, Joe, that's what I'm talking about. So I call Stephanie, I FaceTime Stephanie, because there's still the idea in the back of my head that he could murder me. And so <laughs> I call Steph, and I know, I know from all the podcasts, my phone will triangulate, right? And they'll know where I've been. And so I call Steph, and I'm FaceTiming her. I'm like, hey, this is Joe. Get a good look at Joe. He's a pastor. And she says out loud, out loud, that doesn't matter. He could still be a serial killer, Clint. He, she says, it. Joe's sitting there. Joe's laughing. And so there's an exit up the road, and there's a Circle K. At the, there's a gas station up there. And so uh, I was like, hey, man, just drop me at the Circle K, and then I'll get a ride back. You know, so I'll, I'll get an Uber or something to take me back to town. I just, I just want to be inside. It's hot. And uh, he was like, okay. So we get off at the next exit. The gas station's on the corner. All of a sudden, Joe goes past the gas station. We're not stopping at the gas station. I said, Joe, where are we going, buddy? He, like, he goes, I'm going to take you to my house. I said, okay. I call Stephanie. <laughs> I said, Stephanie, Joe's not taking me where I asked him to go. We're going to Joe's house. I'm thinking, I'm going to end up in this guy's deep freezer by the end of the night. Uh, and so I call Steph, and Stephanie had finally found the number of a pastor that planted a church through ARC, who we, it's a church planting organization. We planted our church through ARC. Y'all are an ARC family church now. Come on, give it up for ARC. We love ARC. Um, 
So this guy named Keith uh, and uh, was the pastor. So I end up at Joe's house. Joe's wife is in the car behind us, has no idea. what uh, Random man shows up at her home. They invite me in, give me some water. It was amazing. And uh, I call Keith. Keith comes and picks me up. Never met Keith before in my life. He's a, a pastor in Spartanburg. He comes and picks me up from Joe's house. If I'm lying, I'm dying right now. We haven't even been in the car long enough for me to know his wife's name and his two kids' name in the back seats. This is how 30 seconds we've been in the car. We see a guy riding an electric scooter get hit by a car. Right, and for This is 30 minutes ago, I'm hitchhiking on the side of the road. All right, And so this guy lives. He's okay. All right, y'all can relax a little bit. But we were the first car. We saw it happen. And now I'm in like first responder mode, right? Like, what do I do? I, and so Keith used to be a cop. He gets out, starts assessing the situation. This man's unconscious. I'm in the car. I have my big sun hat on. So I like take it and I, you know, cover up the windows. Those boys can't see anything. And I call 911 and they're like, where are you? I'm like, I don't know where I am. Um, and so uh, the guy ends up being fine. We leave. Believe it or not, Keith and I, he becomes one of my very best friends in the world from this story. The next couple times we've gone to the retreat, we've gone with Keith and Kurt, and uh, it was amazing. And in that day, I needed a good Samaritan. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been in a, a, a moment in your life where you just needed somebody to come through and help you? Come on, raise your hand. Have you needed something before, right? Like, we all have had this moment where we've needed a good Samaritan. And thank God for good Samaritans. Thank God for people that will take their shirt off their back and they'll give it to you. You know, and thank God for the people that have chainsaws. And when your tree falls down in your yard, they'll come help you, help you cut it up, right? Like, thank God for people that love you enough to help you when you need it. And for some people, especially the men in this room, men, let me hear you. Give me a good little, oh, come on. There we go. Uh, that was my Tim Allen impression from, what's that show called? Home Improvement, right? Yeah, so uh, we, we are really bad at this, men, all right? And we will be, our leg could be falling off. And someone will be like, do you need some help over there, Kurt? And you're like, nah, I'm good. You know, I'm going to rub a little dirt. That's a big deal in the South. Like men are just proud, right? Like they just don't want to admit that they need help. But, uh, uh, you know, we all need help sometimes. Come on, we all need somebody to come and help us at some time in our life. And so today I want to talk to you about a story. You probably know what story we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Good Samaritan. And this story centers around a man that needed some help. I mean, this man could not help himself. He needed some help. And so to kind of get some context of what's going on, I'm going to kind of start at the beginning here. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. You can turn there if you'd like. It'll be on the screens as well. And it says this, it says, one day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus. And a lot of times we think that this means that he was like trying to catch Jesus. No, no, no. He was like a lawyer back in the day. And so he was just kind of being himself. He was, he was asking a question, and, and I don't think he was being malicious. I think he was genuinely wanting to know Jesus' answer. He, he wanted to test Jesus by asking him a question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit 
Eternal life, all right? He's a smart guy. He's like a lawyer. And uh, he, he's kind of just probing Jesus a little bit. He's, he's leading him somewhere in a second. And so um, he asked Jesus, hey, how do we have eternal life? What's the deal? Um, and he had to understand he wasn't only talking about going to heaven when he died. The Jewish people didn't put a lot of emphasis on the afterlife. That's not what they, he was literally asking Jesus, like, how do I get into your kingdom? Because you've clearly come down here to set up a kingdom. You've clearly come down here to like overtake some things, which we're kind of on board with, but you're a little weird. Uh, you know. But like, how do I get into your kingdom? Like, How will you let me in when this happens? And so Jesus replies. He said, well, what does the law of Moses say? Like, How do you read it? And so Jesus is like, well, you're the expert, big dog. Why don't you tell me? Like, What's going on? Like, what's the, what, what do you say? And the man answered. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now this guy nails it. He gives like the perfect Sunday school answer. You know, like this is what our kids do when we ask them spiritual questions. We would get one of three answers. Jesus, the Bible, or God. That's what they'll say. And they're like, these can't be wrong. This guy does the same thing. He gives them like the, the canned answer. It made them look really good. And Jesus looks at him and says, right, do this and you'll live. Jesus was like, exactly. You got it, dude. A plus, gold star, boom, there you go. And Jesus said, hey, you got it, man. And so the guy then pushes a little further. And he asked this clarifying question. He's like, okay, all right. But it says the man wanted to justify his actions. Well, there we go. And so he asked Jesus, okay, then who is my neighbor? So he's asking Jesus, how do I get into your... Your kingdom. He kind of knows the answer. He knows what Jesus is going to say. And then he goes, well, but define neighbor. Do your kids do this, by the way? Whenever you ask them to do something, right? Like, they're like, define clean my room. What do you mean? <laughs> like, let's talk about it. One of our, our oldest could be a lawyer. All right, I'll just tell you right now, this is him to, uh, uh, in a nutshell. But this guy, he thought he was doing a really good job at loving the neighbors. He thought he lived a good enough life that Jesus would surely let this sharp, smart man enter into his kingdom. And so uh, this, then Jesus responds because uh, Jesus does this all the time. He, he responds with a parable. He responds with a story to illustrate the point further. And, um, you know, we sometimes fall into the same trap that this religious leader, this lawyer fell into, is we think that we are doing a pretty good job, right, at living life, like, we don't, here's what we say in the South. We don't cuss, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls that do. You know, like that's just, it's what we say. You know, we're doing pretty good. And, uh, you know, I'm not like a crazy person. I'm not murdering people. I, I, I'm pretty good. You know, you think you're doing a good job. Well, Jesus shares this story to illustrate this point. And so I want to read this story to us a little bit today. It says, Jesus replied with a story. And you could just see the, the lawyer man just rolling his eyes like, sick of these stories. He always tells these stories. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. For some reason, when I hear the word bandits, I think of those guys that wear like the black and white striped suits, and they got the dark eye things on. That's what I picture. Probably not what they look like, but that's what I picture. Um, and so they stripped him of all of his clothes. They beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. <sighs> Terrible. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him by. A temple assistant walked over 
and he looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, despised Samaritan, he came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Y'all say compassion. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Come on, compassion. There we go. I I heard you singing now. Y'all can can get loud. So here's something you need to know. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans. Hated them. Um, And I want you to just think for a second. Think of the worst possible person in the world right now. Think about who that is. Like someone that you know. Not someone you know. You can even think uh, think of the worst possible person in the world. This is how the Jews viewed the Samaritans. You know, I like to say it this way. Think about how Donald Trump feels about Nancy Pelosi. Some of you got nervous. I said Donald Trump, and you're like, whoa. Or some of you were like, preach it, brother. I'm joking now. But, you know, you get, you get, some people get a little nervous. But think about how Nancy Pelosi feels about Donald Trump, right? Like, they're diametrically opposed. They're, they're never going to agree on anything. They don't like each other. They probably never will like each other. Like, the, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. Why? Because they viewed them as like halvesies. Like they, they used to be Jewish and then they left and they were marrying these other people that had pagan beliefs and they, they kind of made up their own little religion and it made the Jewish people furious. They hated them. They did not like them at all. And so he uses this as an illustration to say, then a despised Samaritan came by the good guys pass by, but the despised Samaritan comes by, and he helps them. And then he says this. It's, it's unfathomable what Jesus is saying. He says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If this bill runs higher, I'll actually pay it next time I'm here. Now, and Jesus is turning back to the crowd. He's turning back to the lawyer. He says, now, which one of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who, attacked by, who was attacked by bandits? And I want you to pay attention to how this lawyer responds. He says, the one who showed him mercy. He despised Samaritans so much that he wouldn't even utter the word, the Samaritan. You've never thought about that, have you? Like, he didn't say the Samaritan. He said the one who showed him mercy. Couldn't even say the, the, the name of the guy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, remember what I said at the beginning. This story is about a man that needed help. This man needed help in such a way he could not help himself. He needed someone from the outside to help him out of his mess. He needed somebody that was not in the same state that he was in to come by and to have compassion on him and to help him because the the bandits had left him for dead. They've taken everything from him. And certainly Jesus in this story, he's challenging us to be someone's neighbor. He's challenging us to go the extra mile and to, to care for the least of these. But I also think there's something going on here that we can take today as an application because Jesus is on every page of the Bible. Do you know that? Even in the Old Testament, everything points toward Jesus. So today I want you to think about this story a little differently. Certainly, go serve. Man, man, help the people in this community that need it the most. Do something. Get your hands wet. Come on, you should always carry a towel and a basin ready to wash someone's feet. That's, that's what Jesus is saying in here. 
But there's also another, another context that I want to challenge you with today. And I want to let you know that you can find yourself in this story. Every person in this room can find yourself in this story. But here's the problem that we have a lot of times. is A lot of times we want to put ourselves in the position of the hero in this story. Like we want to be the good Samaritan. There's not one person in here that would say, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the bandit, right? Like I want to wear the eye thing and wear the... No, none of us want to be that guy. We want to be the hero in this story, right? Like we want to be the guy that comes and, and saves the day and does something. And that's because we love, that's why we love the Avengers. That's why we like Star Wars. Like we like the heroes and we want to be the hero. But the fact is, is that you're not going to find yourself as the hero in this story when you look at it from this perspective. Because we're not the good Samaritan. We are the man that's been left for dead on the side of the road. That's who we are. You see, the Bible would teach us that sin, it's like the bandits in this story. Sin has taken everybody in here. And it's beaten you up. It's left you for dead. And it's left you in a position where you can't help yourself get out of this sin problem. You need the help from someone from the outside. The someone that doesn't, isn't in the same condition that you're in. That's what you need in your life to help you. We all need a good Samaritan. And I'm not talking about helping you cut down a tree in your yard. Spiritually, you need somebody to interact with you. You need somebody that can truly help you. We are not the hero in the story. You know, it doesn't matter how much you serve. It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how loud you worship. It doesn't, know how many, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many Bible verses you post on your Facebook page. It, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you drive. You are the one in this story that has been left for dead and beaten up and it's been something, everything's been taken from you. That's who we are in this story. The Bible tells it this way, Ephesians 2. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Welcome to church, everybody. Come on. The commander and powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Man, what an encouraging word today at church, guys. Come on, yeah. We're all sinful and we're going to hell in a handbasket, right? Like, that's just, this is what this is saying. It's telling us that we're all dead. Sin makes us die. And we've all been beaten up by sin. And sin is the thing that separates us from God. You know, the Bible teaches us that you cannot have a relationship with God until this sin problem is taken care of. The Bible also says this in Romans chapter 3. It says, as the Scriptures say, no one is righteous. No one is the hero in this story. Nobody is righteous, not even one. Like, nobody. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All of us have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Man, sometimes we think we're doing pretty good, right? This, this verse would be like, eh, not really. You're not doing very good. Later on in that chapter, the Bible says this, For everyone has sinned, and we fall short of God's glorious standard. 
So God has a standard. A standard is perfection. And this would tell us that, man, all of us have a sin problem. And that sin problem is the very thing that keeps us from God's standard. It keeps us from meeting God's standard. Sin is the thing that has beaten you up. And it's taken everything from you. And it's left you for dead on the side of the road. And when you put yourself in the correct place in this story, you'll start to see things a little differently. You know, I think that a lot of us think that we can do certain things to get our help on our own. You know, we can do certain things to get ourselves out of this mess. We can do certain things to get ourselves out of the ditch and, and to bind up our own wounds and to take care of us. But really, that's not what this story would teach us. You know, you see, uh, and I think we all reach out for certain things to try to get us to help. And so I want you to put yourself in the position of the guy who had been beaten up. He's been left for dead. He's on the side of the road. And you're sitting there and you're barely conscious and your eyes are just barely open. And you see someone coming down the road. And you recognize that the person coming is probably one of the only people that can help you. And it's a priest. Oh man, can you imagine you're left on the side of the road and Kurt, Pastor Kurt, just coming, right? And you're like, surely Kurt will do something, right? Like, he's my pastor. He's a pa like, surely he would do something. You see, when I look at this story this way, I think that this represents religion. A lot of us, we know that something's broken on the inside of us and something that we can't fix on our own. And so it's natural for people to cling to religion. Like, man, I just, I need to go to church. I need to be religious. I need to do religious things. I, I need to give more. I, I need to do this more. Like, I need to say the right things. I need to look a certain way. I, I need to be sure that these church people know that I love God, I love Jesus, and He's a, like, I just need to be sure that, the, and, and, and we reach out for religion, but guess what? Religion is great. There are certain aspects of religion that are great, but religion won't do the work it takes to save you. Being more religious won't get you out of the pit. It won't solve your sin problem. It won't get you from, uh, from where you are to where God wants you to be. Religion's not the thing. And that's why the priest, he comes up to him and he's like, well, nope, I'm not going to help him. And he keeps walking by. If you're not careful in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you're a very religious person, it, it, let me tell you, you're still on the side of the road. You still need help. You still need intervention from Jesus. Why? Because religion doesn't solve your sin problem. It won't help you. So the priest comes. But then there's another guy that comes. And he's the temple assistant. Now, some of you don't know what a temple assistant is. These were the people that would actually get the church ready. They would, get the, they would prepare the church, the temple, for church service. So how many people were here early today helping get this church ready for service? Come on, raise your hand. Anybody in here? Okay, the barns were here. I see some people in here. Listen, you're the temple assistant. Man, you're, you're, you're getting the stuff done. And, and to me, when I read this, like, this represents works. Like, we think a lot of times that if we do enough good things, that, man, God's going to love us more and He's going to help us more. Man, if we do enough good things, 
we might even get to go to heaven. So I got to be sure that I don't, don't do more good things than I do bad things, right? Like we think this all the time. And so the temple assistant, he represents works, like man, things that you can do that are good things, right? And, and some of you right now, you're trying, to, you're trying to fill this void in your heart that sin has left and you're trying to fill it with good works and things, but you can't earn your way to heaven either. That doesn't solve your sin problem. You think, man, if I could just give enough, if I could just serve enough, if I could just be a good person, if I could just do more good things than bad things, if I could just do these good works, man, I'll be good. God's going to love me more. I'm going to get to go to heaven when I die. There's one big, big problem with that. And it's this verse right here. It says this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation, getting off the side of the road, getting healed from your sin problem, is not a reward for the good things that we've done. You can't earn your way to heaven. The, the Bible clearly teaches us this. You, good things are good. Do good things. But good things are not good enough to get you into heaven. You need someone else for that. You can't work your way in to heaven. But there's great news today. I spent a lot of time giving you bad news. I hate doing that. But here's some good news. Y'all ready for some good news? Come on. Religion won't save you. Your works won't save you. You need a good Samaritan. You need somebody that's going to come in and he's going to do the right things to get you in the right place. And I'm happy to tell you that that's happened. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. Jesus came walking down the road when sin and life had just left you for dead, not caring anything about you, your family, your kids, your marriage, and not caring about any of that. He's, they beat you up, it's left you for dead, and here comes Jesus walking down the road. And it looks nothing like you thought it looked like. Man, you thought it looked like religion. You thought it looked like works. But no, no, no. It looks like Jesus. And Jesus came and He lifted you up out of this. It says this in Psalm 40. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and out of the mire. And He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. Man, Jesus was the one that came and He found you. And He was moved by your brokenness. He was moved by the state that sin left you in. And He came and He picked you up and He soothed your wounds. He took you to the end. He takes care of you. He does more than enough. He leaves more than enough. And He shows you great Mercy, He shows you great grace. He shows you great love. The Bible tells, here's the best part about it, you don't have to do anything to get it. Because the Bible said, God showed us His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So God is not waiting on you to get your act together so that you can come to know Jesus. No, no, no. God is meeting you exactly where you are. He's waiting on you just to say yes. Yes, God, I receive it. He's not waiting on you to get your life together while you were still in the pit, while you were still left for dead on the side of the road, while you were still making bad decisions, while you were still cheating on your wife, while you were still saying things you shouldn't be saying, while you were still doing something behind closed doors that you know you shouldn't be doing, while you were still cheating, lying, all of this stuff, God died for you in that state. And He desperately wants a relationship with you. And He doesn't stop there. Not only does God get you out of this situation, not only does He pick you up out of the pit, 
But man, he takes you to the end and he leaves two silver coins and he says, hey, I'm going to give you more than enough to be good after this moment too. The Bible puts it this way, 2 Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given you everything you need for living a godly life. And so what that means is, man, God is picking you up when you can't help yourself. He's putting you on solid ground and now God is going to give you the tools that you need to have a great marriage. He's given you the tools you need to be a great parent to your kids. He's given you the tools that you need to find uh, restoration in that relationship. He's given you the the spiritual gifts so that you can live a godly life. So that you don't have to go back to that pit anymore. You don't have to get beat up by sin anymore. But God wants to give you something far. the, The way the Bible puts it, He says we're more than conquerors. He didn't just defeat sin. No, no, no. You get to have a relationship with Jesus. You get to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit empowers you to live a godly life. So you don't find yourself there anymore. And so I don't know what you need today. I can't tell you everybody's next step today. Because I don't know. We all need to take something different. But I have to believe today that there are some people in here that you resonated a little bit with this story. And you feel like life has chewed you up, spit you out, it's left you for dead on the side of the road. And there is an emptiness in you that you've tried to fill with everything under the sun and nothing's working. I would tell you today that what you need is an encounter with the Good Samaritan. What you need today is an encounter with God. So I want us to just bow our heads. I want us to close our eyes in here. And we're going to do a time where we're going to respond as we worship, and you know the, the worship team can make their way up here as well if they want. But some people in here, today, you need to receive the gift that God has already given you, the gift of having a relationship with Jesus. You know that life has left you in that state, and there's nothing you can do to get out. But Jesus did everything for you in your place, so that you could have a relationship with Him. And maybe today, you're the one that needs to receive this today. You need to have an encounter with Jesus. You need to make Him the Lord of your life today. The King of your heart. And you need to let Him take you to that, the end. You need to let Him uh, do the work in you, so you can become more like Him over time. But it all starts with saying yes to a relationship with Jesus. So if you're in here today and you've never made that decision, I want to invite you to do that. And the way I like to do it is I'm going to pray a prayer and you can say these words after me. And I just want to say, there's nothing magical about the prayer. It's a posture of your heart. But the Bible tells us that those of us who admit that we're sinners and we believe in our hearts that Jesus died and rose from the grave, man, we're going to be saved. You've got to just confess it. So if that's you, you can just pray this prayer after me today. Say, dear God, I need you. sin has left me for dead but I know that you came to give me life and so God would you come into my life today I make you the Lord of my life and in the best way I know how God I will live for you in Jesus name I pray amen come on give God a hand for the people that may have made that decision today come on 
I believe that some people stepped from the side of the road today and God put you on solid ground right now. He did it.